Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Good evening, everyone. We begin the readout tonight with Texas officials sharing harrowing details on what happened when a gunman killed at least 19 children and two of their teachers at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, where roughly 82 percent of the population is Latino. Yet take a look at this scene. That is Stephen McGraw, director of the Texas Department of Public Safety, along with his law enforcement peers, a glimpse of leadership that doesn't quite match the demographics of the town about 60 miles from the U.S.-Mexico border. But that was even what was even more startling than the optics of all these press conferences this week with all of that leadership. Well, is what was said today, the admission of a string of police failures, including driving right by the gunman, of how one girl cowering inside the school called 911 more than five times. By 12.03 that day, nearly 20 officers stood in a hallway outside of the classrooms. But it wasn't until 12.50 that the classroom was breached using keys from a janitor. Before that, no keys. McGraw said the on-scene commander believed that this was a barricaded subject situation and did not think that there were more children at risk. He was then overwhelmed with reporters, demanding an explanation into the time delay, leading him to make this stunning admission. Stand by. Hey, stand by. Right? Okay, I got it. Okay. Hey, from the, from the benefit of hindsight, where I'm sitting now, of course it was not the right decision. It was the wrong decision, period. There's no, no excuse for that. The press conference also failed to translate questions and answers into Spanish, despite earlier promises that they would. Again, a lot of the folks in this town speak Spanish as a primary language. Hours later, we heard from Texas Governor Greg Abbott, who dodged questions surrounding gun laws, focusing instead on touting benefits being offered to local families and again, pushing mental health as the culprit, despite being the governor who has slashed mental health funding in Texas. But he had this to say about the communication breakdown with his cops. I was misled. I am livid about what happened. And when I came out here on this stage and told the public what happened, it was a recitation of what people in that room told me, whether it be law enforcement officials or non-law enforcement officials, whatever the case may be. And as everybody has learned, the information that I was given turned out in part to be inaccurate. And I'm absolutely livid about that. Note note that he didn't have the law enforcement standing behind him like he did during his other press conferences. Just noting that. Also today, we got heartbreaking new images from Pete Luna of the Uvalde Leader News, showing law enforcement officers helping students escape through the window of their school. Images that repeat again and again in America. Children running for their lives. Joining me now from Uvalde, Texas, is MSNBC anchor and correspondent Yasmin Vesuvian. Yasmin, my friend, thank you for being here. Um, and I, I understand you've been on the ground. I've been watching your coverage. It's been excellent all day. And you spoke with the brother um, of one of the children who was killed, uh, one of the, um, I guess, one of the brother of one of the boys who was killed. And what did they say? 
I spoke to um, I spoke to the brother um, of Xavier. He is a ten-year-old boy who was in room 111, Joy, um, and and he told me Xavier was this incredible little boy. Um, he loved going around with his big bro, um, his big bro and his girlfriend Angel, um, and they had their own baby as well. And Xavier loved to dance. He loved to dance to music. He loved to play with his little brothers, his little two-year-old brother and his four-year-old brother. They looked up to, to Xavier like nobody else, and they can't understand the tragedy that has happened. They can't go into his bedroom right now. They are just so broken, um, that family, because of the loss of little 10-year-old Xavier. Yeah. And, and his girlfriend, Annabelle. Xavier had a girlfriend, little Annabelle, 10 years old, who died alongside him. Um, Annabelle, a little girl that we've heard the name of many times as well. And he said Xavier did everything for Annabelle as a 10-year-old, learning from his big brother how to treat, how to treat a girl. And, and, and Xavier did that with little Annabelle. And they, yeah. and they died together, as, as his brother put it. And I'll tell you, he was in room 111. And we learned from that press conference, as you mentioned today, um, some details that were startling, I will say, Joy. The first 911 call came in at 11.30 a.m. from a teacher inside the school saying there's been an accident outside the school a man is armed. He then entered the school three minutes later. For one hour and 20 minutes, he was inside that school alive. For one hour and 20 minutes until he was shot. The, the breakdown of law enforcement across the board has been shocking, I think, to this community. Yeah. 12.03 from room 112, a teacher calls in and says, there are eight to nine kids alive in my classroom. There is an active shooter in this classroom. I am alive. 1210, yeah. another call. 1221, another call. Guess what, what room um, 1221 that call came in from? Room 111. That's where Xavier was. Yeah. And Xavier's brother asking today, was Xavier still alive? Was Annabelle still alive? Had these people gone in earlier, would they have remained alive? The other big question is, the school resource officer was not here, was not on campus. Heard of the shooting, raced to the scene, and then we heard he bypassed the shooter who was crouching down in a bush and instead um, thought that the teacher was a shooter in arms. Had he been on campus, he would have been able to respond. I asked about the SWAT. There's Uvalde SWAT. They're a part-time SWAT, as we're told. There was not personnel available to respond quickly. Then what are they here for? What are they trained for? Two years ago, they posted on Facebook saying, in fact, this is exactly the type of situation they were training for. They were visiting public schools throughout Uvalde to train and be prepared for an active shooter situation. So if you're in this community, you've lost someone, you haven't lost someone. This is a tight-knit community. Everybody knows one another. You are angry, and no matter what the police is saying going forward, whether it's coming from DPS or local police, they're not going to trust it because already, as we have gotten into three days of this thing, we have mis been misled every stage of the way. And I'll say one more thing. The governor saying today, in fact, he was shocked. He was angry that he was misled about the facts. There's a reason the governor doesn't come out on day one and tell you the TikTok of what's happening with an active shooter situation. There is a reason in which officials wait until they have all the facts, all their ducks in a row before they brief the press, yeah. because this is an incredibly sensitive situation and the parents and families deserve to know. Yeah, indeed. And that's where we are today. And these families, they are reeling and they want answers. Yeah. Yasmin Vesuvian, um, it, is, it is shocking, uh, the, the failure of police in this instance. Yasmin Vesuvian, thank you very much. Really appreciate you. Um, Texas State Senator Roland Gutierrez, a Democrat, confronted Governor Abbott at his press conference today, imploring him to reform gun laws. Now, it may be hard to hear him, so we added subtitles. Here's part of what he said. I have to do something, man. 
old colleagues are telling me, calling me and telling me an 18-year-old should have, should have a go. Joining me now from Uvalde is that very Texas state senator, Roland Gutierrez. And did you... Were, Oh, okay. Well, we're, we're going to, we're going to go to him in just a second. And so we're, we're trying to get him and we're having a little bit of a technical difficulty. So we're going to keep trying to get him. Uh, but while we wait for him to come in, I do want to play another soundbite, um, from Yasmin Vesuvian, who also interviewed a couple of people in Uvalde about what she was talking about, about the police response. Um, because the police response has been a big part of the question about what went wrong here. Here is Yasmin's interview with two people in Uvalde about the slow police response. Um, and the fact that one of the police officers actually knew one of the girls who was killed. Take a look. I haven't trusted law enforcement here in a while. Why is that? It surprised me a little bit. Why? They're very slow moving. Yeah. Very slow moving. Anytime we've had situations, they're, they're pretty slow. They could get better people. That's what I think. And the problem here being that in this community, which we know is a low-income community, it is a majority Latino community, it's something that happens in a lot of communities. Those of us who are people of color are familiar with this story. It's a sad one about slow police response times when we call. It took 10 minutes for police to actually arrive on the scene after the first 911 call of people nearby seeing a man with a long gun uh, running toward the school. Now, I will introduce, he is here, State Senator Roland Gutierrez. Uh, thank you very much, sir. I really appreciate you being here. I don't know if you were able to just see that that video um, and, and to hear Yasmin Vesuvian, her reporting. But it does feel like part of the story here, a big part of the story, is number one, a very, very slow response by local police. And then local police being in charge of what happened even when federal authorities got there. And a very, very, very slow response getting inside that school. Um, you raised uh, some concerns to the governor. Have you had the concerns about that, about slow response um, and this police failure? I can only call it that. Have you gotten any answers about that? Well, I, I, so absolutely. I mean, first off, you know, even the police you heard, Steve McCraw today, suggests that there was a failure. I know that he wants to put it on the local police. Uh, I, I'd like to find out what we haven't heard from law enforcement. I've asked them. I asked them to give us this account early. They wanted to wait a little longer. You know, the folks in this community need transparency. Uh, what I'd like to see is when the different agencies actually arrived. In my mind, operational control would shift to an agency with higher firepower, higher uh, jurisdictional level, if you will. Uh, that didn't happen here. Uh, we allowed either the school police or the chief of police. I'm a little bit confused as to who he's saying uh, which chief uh, was in operational command. And so that's a question that I need to have answered for myself. Uh, certainly, then the federal, com- federal government comes in and then they go in and execute. And so we really have a lot of issues and a lot of failures that happen here. This community deserves to know and our country deserves to know for sure. You know, there was a pretty epic tweet thread um, that was went pretty viral today from a Uvalde resident who lives near the school who said that, you know, slow police response times uh, and not having a great interactive relationship with police was actually not an uncommon thing in this community. Um, how do you feel about, you know, this can't help, right, in a community that is low income and largely, um, you know, citizens of color when they feel unserved at the time when they needed police the most? Well, certainly, you know, the folks that I'm that are accountable to me or the state troopers, at least that are accountable to the senators uh, in the Texas legislature. Uh, you know, these folks are going to have to go and talk to their mayor and talk to their council person. I have real concerns about the failure at every level 
Yeah. Uh, what I asked the governor today was a special session, a special session because we have to hold him accountable. We have asked for lo- common sense gun laws for a very long time. We need a special session. We need a full investigation that gives us clear transparency as to what went on here and where the failures were so that this never happens again. You, you asked him about this, this idea that, you know, an 18 year old can just so easily buy uh, an assault rifle and that made it easier. There was no wait. Just buy two assault rifles, buy lots of ammunition. And, you know, if you're a spree killer that wants to spontaneously do something like this, it's really easy in the state of Texas. But I want to play what Governor Abbott had to say about school shootings, because he had a counter narrative about them. Take a look. It's my understanding that ever since Texas has been a state, an 18-year-old has had the ability to buy a long gun, a rifle. Uh, right. And since that time, it seems like it's only been in the past decade or two that we've had school shootings. So for a century and a half, 18-year-olds could buy rifles. And we didn't have school shootings. That, sir, is not true. In 1966, the first known school shooting slash modern day mass shooting took place in Texas at the University of Texas, that that shooting that took place in the tower. So why do you suppose the government is why the governor is continuing to use that talking point, which is disproved by Texas history? Listen, this governor lives in some alternative world, and that's the reality. The fact is. We no longer use 22 rifles. There's no, there's no, you know, you don't need a, people are out there that hunt with squirrel guns. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about AR-15s. We're talking about highly militarized weaponry. And we we need to have a change there. How in the world are we going to let an eight, how how could we live in a place where an 18 year old can go buy thousands of rounds of ammunition, two AR-15s within two days, and no one says anything. In 2019, I filed a, a red flag bill that went nowhere because the Republicans didn't even let it out of committee. If we can't even have a discussion on the issues that are important, I don't know what there is left to do. People elect me to fix problems. They elect Greg Abbott to fix problems. And session after session, he has refused. We are a legislature that meets every other year uh, in odd numbered years. And so we only meet for five months. And so I've asked Greg Abbott to call for a special session so that we can have some changes that would make sense for our yeah. community. Well, we hope that you uh, get that special session. Please uh, feel free to come back anytime to talk about that. It's Texas State Senator Roland Gutierrez, thank you very much. Up next on the readout, as Uvalde mourns its dead, the NRA begins its big, unrepentant gun celebration in Houston. But supporters of sensible gun laws are there, too, loudly making their voices heard. Also tonight, the unholy alliance between gun culture and religion. Plus, for the first time in recent history, the government is not addressing the leading cause of childhood death, which these days is gun violence. And the heavy toll on all of us from two weeks of immense trauma. The readout continues after this. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. 
That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. A split screen in Texas today shows the stark reality of the country's problem with gun violence and our refusal to do anything about it. As the community in Uvalde, Texas, continues to mourn the lives of 19 children and two teachers, the National Rifle Association is holding praise and worship for the AR-15 and other weapons of death in the face of local and national outrage. Underscoring the macabre contrast across the street from the NRA gathering, children were bearing photos of the lives taken in Uvalde. One sign reading, am I next? We've never protested before. Ever? Ever. Why? What was different this time? Because enough is enough. This mass shooting in Uvalde just just touched us off, and we're, we're, we're so furious about it. Things need to change. I think it's shameful. Everybody walking up should feel shameful. Texas Governor Greg Abbott pulled out of an in-person appearance, opting instead to be in Uvalde uh, by a video of being Uvalde, but he addressed the convention via video. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick also bailed, citing the Uvalde families. Those who did appear tried to strike a somber tone, but made clear where they stand. Ted Cruz's solution? Make schools into militarized zones. We need serious funding to upgrade our schools, to install bulletproof doors and locking classroom doors. Ultimately, as we all know, What stops armed bad guys is armed good guys. Well, Ted, that clearly did not happen in Uvalde. And is that really how you want Texans to live? Is that how they want to live, sending their kids to schools that look like prison? We're also learning firsthand from the children who survived the slaughter of their friends, classmates and teachers, friends, classmates and teachers, images that will be horrifically burned into their memories forever. Whenever he started shooting, we uh, hid behind my teacher's desk. The cops said, help if you need help. And then um, they got one of the the persons in my class said, help. Um, The guy overheard and he he came in and shot her. And he said, it's time to die. I was hiding hard and I was telling my friend to not talk. Mi amigos que si murieron eran muy buenas personas. Lo extraño mucho. While the gun lobby holds court with 19 children not yet buried, we're hearing the grief of the parents whose babies remain forever 10. Little Lexi Rubio loved playing softball. Her father, ironically, is a sheriff deputy who was off duty that day, and her parents spoke to NBC's Lester Holt. We're not doing well. I just want to be with my baby. I haven't got to see my baby since this day. Since the day we took a picture with her with her award. I just want to see her. I know I can't hold her, but I can touch her. At least it's the only thing I can hold. Do you know what it's like to be there? And that we didn't, that I didn't take her home? I made this huge mistake, and you can never fix it. I always take my kids home after these ceremonies. I don't know what was different this day. She didn't ask. I didn't mention it. And I left my baby at the school. 
Joining me now is Mike Hixenbaugh, NBC News senior investigative reporter, live in Houston, Charles Blow, columnist for The New York Times, and Michael Steele, former RNC chairman. Thank you all for being here. Um, welcome, uh, Mr. Hixenbaugh, uh, to the show. I, I want to ask you about the NRA and the vibe inside of that convention and how they managed to celebrate guns at a time when not far away, parents are preparing to bury little 10-year-old children. Joy, I don't know how. Um, <clears throat> that that setup was really hard. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, I, I, I came from Ubaldi um, last night to be back in, in town to cover the convention. And what I found was a complete and utter disconnect. Um, you know, across the street were protesters holding signs and, and children pleading to for change, for something to change. And, and inside, there were parents with their children showing them how to hold AR-15s and telling me why the policies that allowed this shooter to go and buy a couple of these guns days after his 18th birthday are so important that these those policies are um, what keeps us safe. Uh, and it was it, it, it's really hard to put into words how far away I felt from the scenes Back in Uvalde, I was where I was talking to the, some of those families and to teachers who talked about hiding on the floor for 35, 40 minutes. Did anyone inside of that convention who spoke to you, did they even express any emotion about? I mean, we're I've been crying for three days, by the way, so don't feel bad about feeling emotional. Did, did, did they express it? There, was there any emotion Thank in there you. for these these dead children and the teachers? Look, I didn't talk to everybody. The, the thing that I witnessed that was the most jarring is on one side of the street, there were protesters, very emotional, screaming, shame, 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 murderers. And on the other side of the street, people wearing AR-15s on their chest, like on their T-shirts, holding up their cell phones and recording videos and laughing and mocking the protesters. Um, I don't know how to bridge that. Yeah. I don't even know how to understand it. Charles, Charles, you know, the NRA, you know, started out as, you know, union generals who were, you know, dismayed at the poor marksmanship of the, you know, people who were being recruited to fight to save the, the union. And it just morphed into this other thing. I mean, they were all for gun reform when the, the, the Black Panthers were uh, carrying long guns in Los Angeles. And, and then they decided to join the Southern strategy and they've hardened into this other thing that we just heard described. There's no negotiating with that, right? There is not. And in fact, I think that part of what you are seeing with the NRA convention is them trying to make a point. The part of the propaganda of the NRA and the Republicans who support them is that this has actually nothing to do with us, right? That these are criminals who are getting their hands on guns using the, the freedoms that we are gathering for law-abiding citizens against us, right? They believe that these, or they want to convince America that these people are separate, that we have to, in fact, have more guns to protect ourselves from these few criminals who get their hands on the guns and use them in these ways. That is, if you believe that your true safety is only garnered if you have a, 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 an arm, a, a, arms in your home, if you have long guns strapped to your chest, if you have them in your truck, if you have them at the grocery store, then 
that does this doesn't penetrate for you. You can even feel sad. You can even say this is a really bad thing that happened. However, that has nothing to do with me. My guns are locked up. I'm a law abiding citizen. I've never done anything wrong with guns in my life. And in fact, nine, you know, because we have more guns in America than people, 99.9 percent of people have never used their gun against another human being in this country. So the, uh, to, to a large degree, it's right. But it only takes a fraction to wreak absolute havoc. And that is what we have. And until we retreat from this idea of gun proliferation and also reducing the barriers to gun ownership and the rules around when and where you can have them, we will never get over the havoc that the fraction of a percentage are wreaking on our society. Yeah. And, you know, Michael, let me play the better work, because I, I thought he was very magnanimous today. He was at that protest across the street. Um, and this is what he said. There are some, including those who've lost, those who are most dear to them, who will say it is too soon for us to talk about what we are going to do to prevent this from ever happening again. But I hope that you agree with me that the time for us to have stopped Uvalde was right after Sandy Hook. The time for us to have stopped Uvalde was right after Parkland. The time for us to have stopped Uvalde was right after Santa Fe High School. The time for us to stop the next mass shooting in this country is right now, right here, today. Michael, why does that argument not compel Republicans? Because it does compel gun owners, right? I mean, you and our friends, we know a lot of the same people. I don't know anybody. (laughs) I literally don't. I don't care how many guns you have. I know people with a house full of guns, but they, you know, rifles and things they hunt They're you know, even if they collect guns, I don't know anyone who isn't moved by that except elected Republicans. Well, the, the, the thing that I think is striking, uh, that, um, for me right now in this space is the fact that the narrative around the gun discussion has largely centered on an incorrect argument which has allowed the the hard right to harden their position such that any reform, any effort, Joy, to uh, address uh, what Charles was just talking about, for example, um, is considered a stripping away, a slippery slope uh, towards, you know, diminishing their rights under the Second Amendment. So this idea of control, gun control, has always been, in my view, the wrong argument to make. It's a because bad, no yeah, it's bad one, marketing, for sure. It's just bad marketing. And, and, and it's always been about reforms that would allow law-abiding gun owners to continue to enjoy the use of their firearms for hunting and shooting and other things. And for the country to focus like a laser on those like this young individual, uh, who are outside of that. Uh, and so the reforms where there was around, um, you know, remember the gun show discussion uh, around, you know, finding who who owns and who has access to getting permits. The, the bogus uh, argument the governor of Texas is currently making about, well, we've always allowed 18-year-olds. Okay, that doesn't mean that you know, in, in the 21st century, that law should still be the hook on which right. you want to hang your Stetson. Uh, and so I think a lot of a lot of the argument now has to shift 
when you see what you hear um, after Sandy Hook and certainly after Stoneman Douglas, you know, the, the David Hogs of the world are changing that conversation. They're saying, look, I know we're going to disagree on a lot of this, but can we at least get to a space where we can begin to talk about the kind of common sense reforms, not control of your guns, right? We don't want to take anything away from you. We just want to put in place the reforms to save lives. All we want to do is make an AR-15 as hard to buy a Sudafed uh, or to rent a car, neither of which an 18-year-old can do. And by the way, just let me put this up real quick. I know we're out of time. Just just the mass shootings, the worst mass shootings, this isn't even all the mass shootings since 1991, this shooting doesn't even rank at the top. This was the murder of a bunch of little kids. It's not even the top most deadly one. And Buffalo doesn't even come anywhere close, okay, shooting since 1991. The only difference between us and the rest of the world is that it used to be able to buy an AR-15 at Walmart, by the way. Because it's a rifle. It's easier to get a rifle. You could buy it at Walmart until they stopped selling them in 2015. Walmart did more gun reform than the United States Congress. Mike Hixenbaugh, Charles Blow, Michael Steele. At Walmart, you could buy it. Still ahead. And also, if you can't stop abortion, they're saying you can stop abortion by legislating abortion, but they're like, you can't. So anyway, let's 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 move on. Christian conservatives are offering thoughts and prayers. I'm going to ask about this in the next block. They're offering thoughts and prayers for the victims of America's latest school shooting. But guns are also a religion for many on the Christian right. Is that why we're not hearing more faith leaders calling for gun reforms? Hmm, we'll be right back. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. United States of America has always had guns. It's our history. Uh, we were built on on the Judeo-Christian foundation and with with guns. We have seen kids are not getting a faith. The faith of America has really mm. suffered for several decades now. Renewed faith. We've we've lost that. We 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 stopped teaching values in so many of our schools. Now we're now we're teaching wokeness. We're t- we're indoctrinating our children with things like CRT. Yes, wokeness and CRT. Here we go again. Well, when they're not regurgitating the usual thoughts and prayers, Republicans are, of course, blaming the horrific massacre in Texas on anything but the guns. They're arguing not only that a lack of faith, meaning their Christian faith, causes tragedy, but that America's gun culture is a part of their faith. And it's been this way for years. Reverend Peter Cook told The Guardian that this developed over over time from President Nixon's Southern strategy to increase political support among white voters in the South by appealing to racism against black people, tough on crime policies and anti-abortion sentiments. Guns became ensnared in the strategy. 
He said, quote, it really gave tacit cultural permission to people of faith to own guns. So they conveniently worked their way into this religious freedom argument and conflated it with Christianity itself. And there's no better example of this interconnectivity than an ad that Daniel Defense, the maker of the Armalite 15 rifle used in Texas, posed eight days, eight days before the shooting. It features a toddler holding an assault rifle and includes the Bible verse, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. That is about as twisted as it gets, folks. So I'm joined now by Frank Schaefer, author of Fall in Love, Hate Children, Stay Put, Save the Planet, Be Happy. Thank you so much for being here, Frank. Explain a little bit more. Give us more of the context of this association of the guns with Christianity, because that sure don't sound like Jesus. Well, you know, Joy, uh, just like you're having a tough time talking about this, this is this is a hard one. Um, yep. You know, I picked up a, an eight-year-old grandchild at school today and I had tears on my cheeks when I when I got her because I was thinking of other people's grandchildren. There's no way to get into the politics without saying something real yeah. and personal first. Um, you know, back in the 1970s, my dad, Francis Schaeffer, the well-known theologian, and I were touring the country, stirring up the beginnings of the Protestant evangelical anti-abortion movement. And what was born at that time was the idea that the federal government is your enemy. And thank God we have guns so that we don't become a dictatorship. And this has morphed into a religion within a religion that worships the gun as a symbol, not just of freedom, but of what it means to be a Christian. You are ready to, to kill people who are going to take away your God-given right to raise your child as you want. In other words, to indoctrinate them with your vision of religion. You're going to stand against the federal government, some nefarious conspiracy theory addled idea of them out there. And gradually, the evangelical community has morphed into a community that not only has a huge amount of gun ownership out of proportion to the rest of the country, but really believes that somehow the gun and the ownership of a military weapon represents their belief, their faith. And their faith is now very much part of a conspiracy theory that regards people like you and me and Democrats and Jews, and many black people, and Hispanics, and others, an increasing list of people as the other. And somehow owning a gun not only defends your home against a home invader who's going to rob you or rape your wife, it's a symbol of standing up against the other, these people who are trying to replace us, the white evangelical uh, majority of the past now becoming a minority that feels embattled. And so there's so much more here about the NRA and their symbiotic relationship with white evangelicals, then, then it first meets the eye if you're outside of the loop of evangelical yeah. paranoia and the feeling of being victims. You know, the thing is, is that there's this strange mix of fatalism, right, um, when it comes to things like abortion of saying, well, if you know, if you get raped and you get pregnant, you know, that's just God putting a baby in the world and you can't have an abortion. And by the way, believing the laws can stop abortion somehow. But then saying when mm -hmm. it comes to guns, well, you know, if that happens, that just happens. It is what it is. But you can't have any laws. Th that's a contradiction for me. Yeah, but you, you have to see that once you are in the grip of this conspiracy theory that somehow the world is against you, then consistency is, is not your strong suit. So what you see is a group of people who claim family values. You know, you were talking about my new book, uh, Fall in Love, Have Children, Stay Put, Save the Planet. Uh, be happy. Well, that that is what evangelicals say they are selling, but they're not. 
they are a misogynistic group of people who are completely anti-family. These are the people, the Republican Party, now controlled by the evangelical Christian nationalist movement. It's not a Repu it is not a democratically elected party anymore in the sense of being committed to democracy. It is a Christian nationalist movement, a white Christian nationalist movement. These folks really are inconsistent on purpose. So they will not vote for something as simple as baby formula uh, being given by the government. They will not vote for paid parental leave. They will not vote for the child tax credit being extended that lifted millions of kids out of poverty. So the fact of the matter is they are now the equivalent of the pagan religions that supposedly in biblical times, they, the Hebrew faith obliterated and made war on because they sacrificed children to Molech and to others. The NRA is, is a gun-worshipping cult that sacrifices American children to the god of gun ownership. They are about as evil as anything that has ever happened in this country, and they, they must be replaced. And so when you look at the evangelicals who have aligned themselves with this, it is as far from the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ as one could imagine. Yep. And there is no way to overstate this when you hear stories about a little girl smearing blood on herself to hide from a shooter while armed cops stand outside the door yeah. and don't come in for an hour. Yeah. If this is not the sickness of, of a society at its apex, I cannot think of another example as a grandfather Indeed. who picks up his grandchildren at school every day. So yeah. we have to understand yep. this is a battle of good versus evil. Yep. And the NRA is an evil institution and it must be smashed. I, I, I would uh, implore you to please come back next week because we wanted you to come on, honestly, before all of this happened to talk about the Southern Baptists um, and this humongous scandal of sexual pre uh, predation. Uh, so please yeah. come back if you can. Um, thank I you will. Very much. There's a, and you know what? Those issues are not unrelated. Yeah. Yeah. We will talk about unrelated. that next week. We'll, we'll see you again next week. Frank Schaefer. Thank you very much, my thank friend. You. Coming up next, America has shown time and time again that it will do whatever it takes, whatever needs to be done to protect its children from senseless deaths. Well, until now. So what changed? Stay with us. I want to talk a little bit about American history, specifically the history of childhood mortality in the U.S. and how the government responded. In the 19th century, American cities grew rapidly. Housing was poor and disease spread quickly. By 1900, the leading cause of childhood death in the U.S. were things like pneumonia, tuberculosis and diphtheria. In some U.S. cities, up to 30 percent of infants died before their first birthday, many of them from infections from contaminated milk. The milk was being watered down by greedy dairy farmers and was full of bacteria. In some cases, formaldehyde was used as a preservative, poisoning children. The government recognized that it was unacceptable and, and established milk standards, which included pasteurization. At the outset of the 20th century, 47 out of every 100 American children died of pneumonia before their fifth birthday. Then antibiotics were developed and the government took steps to improve nutrition and living standards to make kids healthier. Parents in the early 1950s were worried sick that their children would get polio. Between 1950 and 1953, there were more than 6,600 deaths. Then Dr. Jonas Salk made an historic breakthrough, developing a vaccine. The government made it a top priority to get children vaccinated, and polio was almost completely wiped out. 
In the decades that followed, with exponential growth of car ownership, highway accidents became the leading killer of children. But over time, with innovations in car design and government-mandated safety regulations like seatbelts, those deaths leveled off. Then the unthinkable happened in 2020, just two years ago. The leading cause of childhood death wasn't car accidents anymore. It was bullets piercing the heads and hearts of little boys and girls all across America and disproportionately affecting black children. Researcher Jennifer Whitehill told The Washington Post that while efforts continue to make vehicles and highways safer, our government has proved itself unwilling or unable to do the same with firearm deaths and injuries. Our elected leaders are unwilling or unable to do anything about the top killer of children, which means it's up to us to get motivated and replace those elected leaders. We owe our children no less. And up next, the immense trauma many Americans are feeling after two weeks of horrific bloodshed. Yeah, um, got some blood and put it on herself, but she can pretend that she was dead. Jamal said that she um, she saw her her friend full of blood and she got blood and put it on herself. Evaldi residents are just beginning what is sadly a lifelong journey of dealing with the trauma of a massacre at their school. And unfortunately, they are not alone. In the past two weeks, there have been 19 mass shootings in this country, according to the Gun Violence Archive, including a shooting at a Topps grocery store in Buffalo, a flea market in Houston, a Taiwanese church in Laguna Woods, California, and at a memorial service in Cleveland. Here to help us understand how we can try and manage through all of this trauma is Dr. Kavita Patel, former Obama White House policy director and an MSNBC medical contributor. Uh, Let's start with the trauma to children. That story is horrific about this little girl smearing blood all over herself. How do we even explain that to other kids and how do kids like that even come back from something like this? Yeah, Joy, I think a couple of important points, and there are psychologists and psychiatrists and primary care doctors, we're all here to try to be supportive. But number one, actually acknowledge is completely normal. So this is normal. A normal reaction is actually to feel abnormal. And trying to hide things from your child, show that you're feeling some emotions can be one of the most kind of harmful things because they're incredibly aware. I think the second is to quickly identify other symptoms that might be happening. Your child might not talk about it, or you might not talk about it, but you might have physical symptoms, problems sleeping, having problems with your memory, being able to do your daily activities, problems at school, be on the lookout for that. And then everybody's been talking about self-care. I just want to say one, breaking it down to be very easy, Joy. It is so hard for us to try to take care of ourselves because we feel guilty. And I think that sometimes we feel like, well, it didn't happen to me. So how can I feel this bad? And we need to do the opposite. We have to actually try to find small things that can just manage, even if you don't feel like it, bring joy. And that includes with your children. And just remember that only people capable of loving this strongly can have this overwhelming amount of grief and that that's normal. And I've talked to friends who say that every time they see a child now, even if they don't have, you know, it's not even their child, they start to right. burst into tears. I've been crying for a week, you know, and we've had some really tough like meetings, just our meetings talking about doing the show are really emotional now because, you know, like you said, it's not happening to you, but how do we as a society cope with two, what, two and a half years of, co- of constant trauma, mass shooting after mass shooting, a million people dead from COVID. I feel like we're kind of in a trauma wormhole right now. We are, and we're not acknowledging how to deal with that trauma. And, and some people will say, oh, you know, seek out 
help from a mental health professional, that's not sufficient. And Joy, honestly, we can't even get patients into psychological or psychiatric care if we need to imminently. So that's one piece of it. It's incredibly important to seek out professional help. But my fear is that most of us are not even getting to that stage where we realize we need it. And I think that's where self-care and actually self-care involves caring for others. I think, you know, in the throes of the early part of the pandemic, People were so isolated. I think people now are in communities, they're seeing each other, but they're probably more isolated than ever because of the trauma that you just expressed. And yeah. so be aware, be aware of others and your own symptoms as well. How much, what if little kids ask, you know, what happened to these little kids who look like them, who are their size, their age? Yeah, that's so look, I'm not a child psychiatrist. So I actually yeah. knowing that you might ask this, I went and sought out this information from colleagues who are experts in, unfortunately, Joy, exactly this. The number one thing that they say is to let them speak their words, not to put words in their mouth, but yeah. to actually let them describe. And you see children in Uvalde actually doing that. And then to actually then ask them questions and say, what does that make you think of? What does that make you feel? But not to expand beyond what they say and to allow that space and also to talk to teachers or any of the adults around them to make sure that they're doing the same and that they can model that behavior. It's been a very difficult week, I think, for everybody. It's been get difficult to read through the little, you know, the biographies of these beautiful little children and, you know, these the grandmas in Buffalo. This is, it's hard. People think of news people as sort of hardened, cynical people. And I am incredibly no. cynical when it comes to things like politics, but this stuff breaks you. Um, Dr. Kavita Patel, thank you so much for being here. That's thank nice you. readout. You can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.